Book One, Chapters Nineteen and Twenty of the Wars of the Jews. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Wars of the Jews by Josephus, translated by William Whiston. Book One, Chapters Nineteen and Twenty. Chapter Nineteen: How Antony, at the persuasion of Cleopatra, sent Herod to fight against the Arabians and now after several battles he at length got the victory, as also concerning a great earthquake. 1. Now when the war about Actium was begun, Herod prepared to come to the assistance of Antony, as being already freed from his troubles in Judea, and having gained Hyrcania, which was a place that was held by Antigonus's sister. However, he was cunningly hindered from partaking of the hazards that Antony went through by Cleopatra, for since, as we have already noted, she had laid a plot against the kings of Judea and Arabia, she prevailed with Antony to commit the war against the Arabians to Herod, that so, if he got the better, she might become mistress of Arabia, or, if he were worsted, of Judea, and that she might destroy one of those kings by the other. 2. However, this contrivance tended to the advantage of Herod, for at the very first he took hostages from the enemy, and got together a great body of horse, and ordered them to march against them about Diespos. And he conquered that army, although it fought resolutely against him. After which defeat, the Arabians were in great motion, and assembled themselves together at Canatha, a city of Celesyria, in vast multitudes, and waited for the Jews. And when Herod was come thither, he tried to manage this war with particular prudence, and gave orders that they should build a wall about their camp. Yet did not the multitude comply with these orders, but were so emboldened by their foregoing victory, that they presently attacked the Arabians, and beat them at the first onset, and then pursued them. Yet were their snares laid for Herod in that pursuit. While Athenio, who was one of Cleopatra's generals, and always an antagonist to Herod, sent out of Canatha the men of that country against him, for, upon this fresh onset, the Arabians took courage and returned back, and both joined their numerous forces about stony places that were hard to be gone over, and there put Herod's men to the rout, and made a great slaughter of them. But those that escaped out of the battle fled to Ormisa, where the Arabians surrounded their camp and took it, with all the men in it. 3. In a little time after this calamity, Herod came to bring them succors, but he came too late. Now the occasion of that blow was this, that the officers would not obey orders, for had not the fight begun so suddenly, Athenio had not found a proper season for the snares he laid for Herod. However, he was even with the Arabians afterward, and overran their country, and did them more harm than their single victory could compensate but as he was avenging himself on his enemies, there fell upon him another providential calamity, for in the seventh year of his reign, footnote, this seventh year of the reign of Herod from the conquest or death of Antigonus, with the great earthquake in the beginning of the same spring, which are here fully implied to be not much before the fight at Actium between Octavius and Antony, and which is known from the Roman historians to have been in the beginning of September, in the thirty-first year before the Christian era, determines the chronology of Josephus as to the reign of Herod, viz. that he began in the year thirty-seven, beyond rational contradiction. 
nor is it quite unworthy of our notice that this seventh year of the reign of Herod, or the thirty-first before the Christian era, contained the latter part of a sabbatic year, on which the sabbatic year, therefore, it is plain this great earthquake happened in Judea. End footnote. When the war about Actium was at its height, at the beginning of the spring, the earth was shaken, and destroyed an immense number of cattle, with thirty thousand men. But the army received no harm, because it lay in the open air. In the meantime, the fame of this earthquake elevated the Arabians to greater courage, and this by augmenting it to a fabulous height, as is constantly the case in melancholy accidents, and pretending that all Judea was overthrown. Upon this supposal, therefore, that they should easily get a land that was destitute of inhabitants into their power, they first sacrificed those ambassadors who were come to them from the Jews, and then marched into Judea immediately. Now the Jewish nation were affrighted at this invasion, and quite dispirited at the greatness of their calamities one after another, whom yet Herod got together, and endeavored to encourage to defend themselves by the following speech which he made to them. 4. The present dread you are under seems to me to have seized upon you very unreasonably. It is true you might justly be dismayed at that providential chastisement which hath befallen you, but to suffer yourselves to be equally terrified at the invasion of men is unmanly. As for myself, I am so far from being affrighted at our enemies after this earthquake, that I imagine that God hath thereby laid a bait for the Arabians, that we may be avenged on them, for their present invasion proceeds more from our accidental misfortunes, than that they have any great dependence on their weapons, or their own fitness for action. Now that hope which depends not on men's own power, but on others' ill success, is a very ticklish thing. For there is no certainty among men, either in their bad or good fortunes. But we may easily observe that fortune is mutable, and goes from one side to another, and this you may readily learn from examples among yourselves. For when you were once victors in the former fight, your enemies overcame you at last. And very likely it will now happen so, that those who think themselves sure of beating you, will themselves be beaten. For when men are very confident, they are not upon their guard, while fear teaches men to act with caution, insomuch that I venture to prove from your very timorousness that you ought to take courage. For when you were more bold than you ought to have been, and then I would have had you, and marched on, Athenio's treachery took place. But your present slowness and seeming dejection of mind is to me a pledge and assurance of victory, and indeed it is proper beforehand to be thus provident. But when we come to action, we ought to erect our minds, and to make our enemies, be they ever so wicked, believe that neither any human, no, nor any providential misfortune, can ever depress the courage of Jews while they are alive. Nor will any of them ever overlook an Arabian, or suffer such a one to become lord of his good things, whom he has in a manner taken captive, and that many times also. And do not you disturb yourselves at the quaking of inanimate creatures, nor do you imagine that this earthquake is a sign of another calamity. For such affections of the elements are according to the course of nature, nor does it import anything further to men than what mischief it does immediately of itself. Perhaps there may come some short sign beforehand in the case of pestilences and famines and earthquakes, but these calamities themselves have their force limited by themselves without foreboding any other calamity. 
and indeed what greater mischief can the war, though it should be a violent one, do to us than the earthquake hath done? Nay, there is a signal of our enemy's destruction visible, and that a very great one also, and this not a natural one, nor derived from the hand of foreigners neither. But it is this, that they have barbarously murdered our ambassadors, contrary to the common law of mankind, and they have destroyed so many, as if they esteemed them sacrifices for God, in relation to this war. But they will not avoid his great eye, nor his invincible right hand, and we shall be revenged of them presently, in case we shall retain any of the courage of our forefathers, and rise up boldly to punish these covenant-breakers. Let every one therefore go on and fight, not so much for his wife or his children, or for the danger his country is in, as for these ambassadors of ours. Those dead ambassadors will conduct this war of ours better than we ourselves who are alive. And if you will be ruled by me, I will myself go before you into danger. For you know this well enough, that your courage is irresistible, unless you hurt yourselves by acting rashly. Footnote. This speech of Herod is set down twice by Josephus, to the very same purpose, but by no means in the same words. Whence it appears that the sense was Herod's, but the composition Josephus's. End footnote. 5. When Herod had encouraged them with this speech, and he saw with what alacrity they went, he offered sacrifice to God, and after that sacrifice he passed over the river Jordan with his army, and pitched his camp about Philadelphia, near the enemy, and about a fortification that lay between them. He then shot at them at a distance, and was desirous to come to an engagement presently, for some of them had been sent beforehand to seize upon that fortification, but the king sent some who immediately beat them out of the fortification, while he himself went in the forefront of the army, which he put in battle array every day, and invited the Arabians to fight. But as none of them came out of their camp, for they were in a terrible fright, and their general, Althamus, was not able to say a word for fear, so Herod came upon them, and pulled their fortification to pieces, by which means they were compelled to come out to fight, which they did in disorder, and so that the horsemen and footmen were mixed together. They were indeed superior to the Jews in number, but inferior in their alacrity, although they were obliged to expose themselves to danger by their very despair of victory. 6. Now while they made opposition, they had not a great number slain. But as soon as they turned their backs, a great many were trodden to pieces by the Jews, and a great many by themselves, and so perished, till five thousand were fallen dead in their flight, while the rest of the multitude prevented their immediate death by crowding into the fortification. Herod encompassed these around and besieged them, and while they were ready to be taken by their enemies in arms, they had another additional distress upon them, which was thirst and want of water, for the king was above hearkening to their ambassadors, and when they offered five hundred talents, as the price of their redemption, he pressed still harder upon them, and as they were burnt up by their thirst, they came out and voluntarily delivered themselves up by multitudes to the Jews, till in five days' time four thousand of them were put into bonds. And on the sixth day the multitude that were left despaired of saving themselves, and came out to fight. With these Herod fought, and slew again about seven thousand, insomuch that he punished Arabia so severely, and so far extinguished the spirits of the men, that he was chosen by the nation for their ruler. 
Chapter 20. Herod is confirmed in his kingdom by Caesar, and cultivates a friendship with the emperor by magnificent presents, while Caesar returns his kindness by bestowing on him that part of his kingdom which had been taken away from it by Cleopatra, with the addition of Zenodorus country also. 1. But now Herod was under immediate concern about a most important affair, on account of his friendship with Antony, who was already overcome at Actium by Caesar. Yet he was more afraid than hurt, for Caesar did not think he had quite undone Antony, while Herod continued his assistance to him. However, the king resolved to expose himself to dangers. Accordingly, he sailed to Rhodes, where Caesar then abode, and came to him without his diadem, and in the habit and appearance of a private person, but in his behavior as a king. So he concealed nothing of the truth, but spike thus before his face. O Caesar, as I was made king of the Jews by Antony, so do I profess that I have used my royal authority in the best manner, and entirely for his advantage. Nor will I conceal this further, that thou hast certainly found me in arms, and an inseparable companion of his, had not the Arabians hindered me. However, I sent him as many auxiliaries as I was able, and many ten thousand cori of corn. Nay, indeed, I did not desert my benefactor after the bow that was given him at Actium, but I gave him the best advice I was able, when I was no longer able to assist him in the war, and I told him that there was but one way of recovering his affairs, and that was to kill Cleopatra, and I promised him that, if she were once dead, I would afford him money and walls for his security, with an army and myself to assist him in his war against thee but his affections for Cleopatra stopped his ears, as did God himself also, who hath bestowed the government on thee. I own myself also to be overcome together with him, and with his last fortune I have laid aside my diadem, and have come hither to thee, having my hopes of safety in thy virtue, and I desire that thou wilt first consider how faithful a friend, and not whose friend I have been. 2. Caesar replied to him thus, Nay, thou shalt not only be in safety, but thou shalt be a king, and that more firmly than thou wast before, for thou art worthy to reign over a great many subjects, by reason of the fastness of thy friendship. And do thou endeavor to be equally constant in thy friendship to me, upon my good success, which is what I depend upon from the generosity of thy disposition. However, Antony hath done well in preferring Cleopatra to thee, for by this means we have gained thee by her madness, and thus thou hast begun to be my friend before I began to be thine. On which account Quintus Didius hath written to me that thou sentest him assistance against the gladiators. I do therefore assure thee that I will confirm the kingdom to thee by decree. I shall also endeavor to do thee some further kindness hereafter, that thou mayest find no loss in the want of Antony. 3. When Caesar had spoken such obliging things to the king, and had put the diadem again about his head, he proclaimed what he had bestowed on him by a decree, in which he enlarged in the commendation of the man after a magnificent manner. Whereupon Herod obliged him to be kind to him by the presents he gave him, and he desired him to forgive Alexander, one of Antony's friends, who was become a supplicant to him. But Caesar's anger against him prevailed, and he complained of the many and very great offenses the man whom he petitioned for had been guilty of, and by that means he rejected his petition. 
After this, Caesar went for Egypt through Syria, when Herod received him with royal and rich entertainments. And then did he first of all ride along with Caesar, as he was reviewing his army about Ptolemy, and feasted him with all his friends, and then distributed among the rest of the army what was necessary to feast them withal. He also made a plentiful provision of water for them, when they were to march as far as Pelusium, through a dry country, which he did also in like manner at their return thence, nor were there any necessaries wanting to that army. It was therefore the opinion, both of Caesar and of his soldiers, that Herod's kingdom was too small for those generous presents he made them, for which reason, when Caesar was come into Egypt, and Cleopatra and Antony were dead, he did not only bestow other marks of honor upon him, but made an addition to his kingdom, by giving him not only the country which had been taken from him by Cleopatra, but besides that, Gadara, and Hippos, and Samaria, and moreover of the maritime cities, Gaza, and Anthedon, and Joppa, and Strato's Tower. Footnote. Since Josephus, both here and in his antiquities, reckons Gaza, which had been a free city, among the cities given Herod by Augustus, and yet implies that Herod had made Costoborus a governor of it before, Hardane has some pretense for saying that Josephus here contradicted himself. But perhaps Herod thought he had sufficient authority to put a governor into Gaza, after he was made tetrarch or king in times of war, before the city was entirely delivered into his hands by Augustus. End footnote. He also made him a present of four hundred Gauls, Galatians, as a guard for his body, which they had been to Cleopatra before. Nor did anything so strongly induce Caesar to make these presents as the generosity of him that received them. 4. Moreover, after the first games at Actium, he added to his kingdom both the region called Tranconitis, and what lay in its neighborhood, Betanea, and the country of Aronitus and that on the following occasion. Zenodorus, who had hired the house of Lysanias, had all along sent robbers out of Trachonitis among the Damascenes, who thereupon had recourse to Varro, the president of Syria, and desired of him that he would represent the calamity they were in to Caesar. When Caesar was acquainted with it, he sent back orders that this nest of robbers should be destroyed. Varro therefore made an expedition against them, and cleared the land of those men, and took it away from Zenodorus. Caesar did also afterward bestow it on Herod, that it might not again become a receptacle for those robbers that had come against Damascus. He also made him a procurator of all Syria, and this on the tenth year afterward, when he came again into that province. And this was so established, that the other procurators could not do anything in the administration without his advice. But when Zenodorus was dead, Caesar bestowed on him all that land which lay between Trachonitis and Galilee. Yet, what was still of more consequence to Herod, he was beloved by Caesar next after Agrippa, and by Agrippa next after Caesar, whence he arrived at a very great degree of felicity. Yet did the greatness of his soul exceed it, and the main part of his magnanimity was extended to the promotion of piety. End of Book 1, Chapters 19 and 20